The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, I promise you're in the right place. Today's buzz? Well, maybe it's time for a makeover. Oh, don't get nervous. There's no scalpel involved. But we do have a very important topic. Let me get started. Performance management. Some of you know it as PM. It began informally way back around World War I and evolved into the late 1950s when many companies adopted a formal personality-based PM practice. But one thing was missing, and people were annoyed. It didn't have a self-appraisal component. That may resonate with those of you who are listening to us around the world today. Well, complaints arose about their effectiveness or ineffectiveness. Let's fast forward to today. Most organizations, and I'm assuming all of you who are listening uh, to us on the business channel are involved in some kind of an organization, whether it's your own company, whether you're working for a small to midsize or a huge behemoth corp enterprise, as we like to say. Most are using Using a performance management strategy today intended to drive the right behaviors toward a specific outcome. That's what you want. You want to manage behaviors. But guess what? If we polled most of you out there, research says about 80% of you say it is not working. So the big question on the table today is, is your performance management maximizing your employee's productivity or is it hurting it? Well, it's time for us to examine the good, the bad, and sorry to say the ugly of PM, performance management, and let's talk about some improvement strategies you can use right now. We have two experts on the line. They're both no strangers to Coffee Break. Let me introduce our first panelist. He is Dr. Stephen T. Hunt. We're formal, so we're including middle initials today, Stephen, because I use the D in Bonnie D. Stephen is the Senior Vice President of Value Realization at Success Factors. And Stephen has sent me a very interesting quote. I believe it's a Hunt original. He says, sweeping generalizations about certain performance management methods being universally good or bad are almost always wrong. Stephen Hunt, how have you been? Good, good, Bonnie. Nice to, nice Thanks to for channel. joining. This is your topic. This is your wheelhouse. So talk to me. You're saying sweeping generalizations. Did I make any of those in my opening remarks, Stephen? Um, no, although I think sometimes people argue that performance management may have actually started in China um, in the early sort of setup of the Chinese bureaucracy. So, but <laughs> Okay, well, I like that. I, we can do a history <laughs> lesson here. So what do you think? Sweep, who is making these sweeping generalizations? Well, I, I think you're seeing something. It's funny. I think, you know, so the sweeping generalizations are all sweeping generalizations are wrong, including that one. Um, but <laughs> the, the thing with performance management, and I guess I have a somewhat unique perspective because working for 
success factors with our technology, it can be configured any number of ways. And so I work with all these different customers to try to figure out, you know, what's the best way to use the technology for supporting performance management. Some of them have ratings. Some of them don't have ratings. Some of them use force ranking. Some of them absolutely avoid force ranking. And so what I've seen is that there's no one process that works really well everywhere. And Mm -hmm. I will say there are certain necessary things that are key to effective performance management, like very clearly defining what you mean by performance, you know, setting clear expectations. So I would Mm -hmm. say there are some things, you know, that are probably true. You have to have some way to set clear expectations. You have to have some way to consistently measure performance. But how you do that, there isn't a method that's, that's effective everywhere. And probably what really prompted me to write that quote, well, there's been a lot of stuff recently in the blogosphere that, for example, that ratings are bad and uh, they're inaccurate. Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. bad rating processes are bad and inaccurate, but that's not true. You know, you can have effective ratings. Um, people don't necessarily hate being rated. There's some people that thrive on competition. A lot of people want to know where they stand. Um, there's a right way to do it, but these sort of like ideas that, you know, performance management doesn't work or performance ratings are bad, <clears throat> it's just simply not true. It really depends on the company and how it's designed. Thank you, Stephen. I want to throw you a curveball here for a second. We are in the era of innovation, innovative thinking, design thinking, design management. And when you think about companies are saying fail fast, fail often, and they're telling their employees, think outside the box. Let's all get together, put our heads together. Let's see what we can come up with in innovation. I think that changes some of the rules of performance management, Stephen. It's it's like you're saying to them, okay, we hired you for this, but now we're going to put you in with a group of, of forward thinkers, and we want you to come up with all kinds of new ideas. How do you measure that kind of performance, Stephen? Has that well, changed everything? Yeah, well, I think what's changed, in the te- and also the technology. I think we never would have had the annual performance review if we'd always had social cloud technology and mobile technology. I don't think anyone would ever have intentionally said, let's create a process that will you know, encourages managers to give feedback once a year. Um, I think that was just all companies could do when they first said, you know, whatever, hundreds of years ago, that we should have a systematic, consistent process to measure performance because that would be more accurate and fair, and all they had was paper and pencil, so that's the first traditional annual performance review. Now, the technology is totally changing how we can do this, and so it's not just... Um, that the world of work has changed. It's what we're able to, we're not able to do, I think, the stuff we always wanted to do. As long as I've been in HR, people have said, you know, the performance review shouldn't be a surprise. It should be ongoing throughout the year. Mm-hmm. But there was no way to create tools to actually support that. Now there is. I do agree, also, as the pace of work changes, <clears throat> that we want to be more constantly giving feedback and guidance. But again, I can't know if I'm being successful if I don't have some definition of what success is. Mm-hmm. and I'm not evaluated against that. Otherwise, I'm just swinging blindly. Um, so the definition of success may change as a company's business changes, but from a learning perspective of the person, I don't know if I'm going the right direction if I don't get some, if one, I don't have some sense of what that direction is, and two, I don't get some feedback Am I, if I'm progressing in that direction. So mm-hmm. this idea that we can create a high-performance culture without some method to give people feedback on the effectiveness of their performance towards achieving their goals, is just, it just won't work. I mean, if you think about it, it's a little bit like, you know, you can't just say, go be creative. Mm-hmm. So he's like, well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. We're, we're doing a show on our Innovating Innovation with Game Changers series. I think it's next week, Steve, uh, with three students who are working 
and interning at SAP with their manager, Michelle Sirier, who sponsors that series. And we're talking about living in, and maybe we should change it to living with the culture of innovation, talking about passionate teams and working outside the box and all that good stuff for innovation. And I'm going to ask them, I'm going to throw a little monkey wrench into that conversation and say to Michelle, how do you manage when you're telling people to just come to work and be passionate and, and give us your wow? There has to be a way to manage it. Thank you so much for indulging my question. I had to bring it up because it's such a pervasive topic. Thank you, Steve. Let me introduce our second panelist. We have just been joined by Josh Burson, who founded Burson and Associates in 2004, and now he is Burson by Deloitte. Justin, I'm getting a little echo on my line. Not sure if it's Josh's line or not. Josh Burson sent me a brief and very important quote. He says, traditional performance appraisals are dinosaurs. You know, those are the kind of dinosaurs we make fancy movies about. Hello, Josh. How are you? Great. Can you guys hear me? I wasn't we sure can. if I was even on the line. You're loud and clear. You're perfect. Okay, so go. Great. Yeah, you're live on the air. So go ahead. Traditional okay. performance appraisals are dinosaurs. Oh, wow. Which? What kind of dinosaurs are they? Pterodactyls? <laughs> I don't know what kind of dinosaurs. Is that important? Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, they're they're. I don't know what breed of dinosaurs they are, but uh, you know they're they're going away pretty quickly. Um, and the problem is. The, the process that most companies use today, 60 to 70% of companies are actually re-engineering them, and I get calls all week from companies that are going through experiments and tests of different approaches. But basically the problem is that we develop this big, complicated end-of-year review process, and our research shows that only 12% of the companies say it's worth the time. Um, it's unproductive. It pushes too much data and too many decisions into a single rating. Um, managers use it as an excuse not to talk to their employees because they know at the end of the year they're going to have to go through this uh, review. Um, and employees find it, in many cases, a, quote, drive-by shooting at the end of the year, is mm. what some people call it. It's frustrating for them. And so we're really rethinking the whole process. And one of the reasons I think that it is going to be changed fundamentally is that the role of management has changed. Managers are not, we don't work in top-down management-driven organizations the way we used to. Managers are intended to be coaches and developers of people, and they're supposed to engage people and make sure, I mean, 90% of recruiters now say that the candidates are in charge. So if the manager is not um, doing a good job of engaging people, they are looking around for other work. So this process is, you know, really quite dated, and um, I think it's a revolution that's going on. And I know that because I'm actually meeting with companies almost every week that are really, really, um, um, very seriously looking at scrapping ratings, um, significantly changing what the end of year process is, if it, if there even is one, uh, doing away mm -hmm. with force rankings, um, and trying to find ways to use their HR software to be much more agile and, and, and facilitate check-ins and ongoing communication. But the other thing that I think is really big is we now live in a feedback um, market. We feedback everything. We rate things on Yelp. We rate our companies on Glassdoor. We, we like things on Facebook. And so employees want to rate their managers, and they want to make their, rate their leaders. And if they can't do it at work, they're going to do it on Glassdoor. And if the managers and the leaders don't look at the data at work, it's going to appear on Glassdoor and they're going to find out about it later. So we have to accommodate that sort of behavior pattern in the process. So the feats, so the tools for performance management have to be 
uh, set up so that employees can provide feedback just as regularly as managers. And that's a good thing, really, for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a pretty significant, profound um, shift that's taking place. Thank you, Josh. Great explanation. And I'm looking forward greatly to your predictions at the end of the show when we go in the last six or eight minutes to the crystal ball predictions round. I want to hear what you think will happen in the next two months to five years or however far out. Uh, Quick question for you. Do you agree with Stephen? I I brought in a little bit of a monkey wrench there in terms of the innovation culture, thinking outside the box, fail fast, fail often. Will will this new agility accommodate when you say to somebody, well, we didn't exactly hire you for this, but we hired you for your ability to think creatively, and now we're going to find a way to measure you on that success. Will the new agility cope with that? Yeah, it, ha- it has to. I mean, we want, we want mm-hmm. people to be more creative and innovative at work, so we have to give them an environment that gives them the freedom to do that. If you, if you set your goals at the beginning of the year, and you're getting paid and evaluated on the goals, those goals, and you don't look at those goals for a year, and at the end of the year, you know you're going to sit down and, and have a serious conversation about them. That doesn't give you a lot of freedom during the year to change directions, work on new things, um, come up with new ideas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, that the, the, the perfor- listen, the performance management process industrializes management. It, it really does, in many ways, impact what we want managers to do and how we want them to behave. And if we want managers to encourage uh, innovation and new ideas, we need to give them a set of processes that um, reward that. And so that's, mm-hmm. I think it is one of the reasons that this process is getting decomposed. Thank you. Some good words in there. Now we, we went from dinosaurs to decomposing. We're going to have to see. And, Josh, you weren't on in the beginning, but the buzz at the top of my monologue was time for a makeover. Now we're decomposing. We really need a makeover, Josh. Thank you very much. And let me introduce our third panelist waiting so patiently in the wings. She's back from France. She's home. Her name is Pam Seplo. She is Global Head of Career and Talent Management at SAP. And Pam has chosen a quote from the eminent Will Rogers, who by by the way, those of you who are very young out there who don't know who he was, his name, his full name was William Penn Adair Will Rogers, and he was an American cowboy, a vaudeville performer, a humorist, a newspaper columnist, social commentator, and stage and motion picture actor, and one of the most famous American media stars during the 1920s and 30s, and he has so many, what I call bon mots, so many quotable moments here, and here's the one Pam picked, Will Rogers said, Good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. Amen to that. How are you, Pam? Welcome to the show. Thanks, Bonnie. It's nice to be back. Wonderful. Talk to me. Are you a big fan of Will Rogers, all of his good things? He certainly is not a dinosaur if we're still using his quotes today. So what does this quote have to do with what we're talking about? Yeah, so as I listen to both Josh and Steve talk about their quotes and what they're seeing in trends, one of the things that... Um, I hear them saying underlining as part of performance management is also not just about the impact that I'm having, but also about what am I learning and how do I move that, how do I take my learnings and um, move that into whatever my next set of goals are, whatever the next project that I'm working on. Certainly when we talk about the topic of innovation, a lot of innovation is failure. But if I'm learning something from that failure and I can take that with me so that next time I have better judgment and I can apply that, I think that's a huge part of what we're talking about. I also see it being a huge um, part of the shift that we're seeing as organizations are starting to think about why are they doing performance management and what is really the underlying value that they're getting from performance management. 
So I love this quote. I use it a lot for a lot of different purposes, but I really think it applies, um, as I said, <clears throat> in context of the conversation that we're having today and the future of what performance management holds for our organizations. Thank you. I have a feeling that our, our future-looking comments from all three panelists are going to be peppered throughout this conversation. But, Pam, I want to ask you, uh, I didn't ask Josh, and I didn't ask Steve in my opening. I said one of the early complaints about way back in the late 1950s about the status of performance management was it did not include a self-appraisal component. And I work for SAP, and I have to do some self-appraisal. Do you think you were outstanding? You did a basic job. You did a very good job. Eh, not so much. Let's look in the mirror and be honest here, kids. Uh, is is that something that is pervasive today, Pam, as far as you see from an industry perspective of HR? Are most companies using self-appraisal, and, and how is it working? So certainly from my experience with the customers and colleagues that I talk to who work in other organizations, self-assessment of some kind is really pervasive. Um, I think it works okay. There is an element always of performance management that is somewhat subjective, whether that's as a manager, my subjectivity, or as an employee, my subjectivity. What I think the self-assessment does and where I think it can really help in driving conversation is it helps the manager understand um, where the employee is coming from which can really help them to prepare better for the conversation that they're going to have with the employee. Are we on the same page? Do we have a pretty big gap in our um, understanding about how something was achieved or about how things are going? So I think it helps to set um, a tone for the manager as they prepare for the conversation. I also think oftentimes in this really fast-paced world that we're working in, and as more and more organizations are going to work in project modes, sometimes my direct manager isn't the person who's necessarily directing my day-to-day work. So I think the mm-hmm. self-appraisal or the self-assessment gives managers insights from the employee's perspective that they might not otherwise have because they're just not involved every day in directing that person's work. Interesting. I liked where you said, are they on this, are you on the same page as your manager? I think that's, that's the main purpose is, does she really think she's doing an outstanding job? What is she drinking? Speaking of which, and thank you, Pam. Speaking of which, Stephen Hunt, I'm going to circle it all the way back to you at the start of our introduction here and ask you, you know the drill. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, and we want to know a little bit about what is Stephen Hunt drinking. But first, where are you calling from? What time of the day or night is it? And what's in your cup today, Steve? Uh, it's 8.20 a.m. I'm in Portland, Oregon after visiting like 15 cities in September, so my, my body's here. I don't know where my brain is. It's still in the air somewhere. <laughs> but, um, I think we're borrowing uh, it for 57 minutes, and we appreciate that, Steve. Okay, and uh, yeah, I'm drinking uh, Starbucks Anniversary Blend coffee and lots of it. And whose anniversary is it? Starbucks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I used to work for Starbucks, and so I'm still a loyal Starbucks fan. Oh, how nice. Is this loaded with caffeine? Has it got a couple of espresso shots in it, or not so much? <laughs> no, I haven't gotten I haven't dumped any Red Bull in it yet, but... <laughs> uh, okay. Did you know that regular coffee, brewed coffee, apparently has more caffeine, about 50% more than espresso, I learned recently? Did you know that? I think I'd heard it somewhere, but... Uh, yeah. I think it has for me more it's about the volume I drink than the caffeine intensity. <laughs> drink enough, you'll get there, right? Thank you. Josh Person, where are you calling from? Time of day and what is... Tell us something interesting about Josh. What do you love to drink? <laughs> well, it's 8.20 in the morning. I'm in uh, the San Francisco Bay Area. I'm not on the road, thank God, because the traffic here has gotten so bad, thanks to this wonderful high-tech economy we have. And I am drinking Pete's coffee, which is 
unfortunately, I seem to be addicted to. Um, Sumatra is the flavor that I seem to like the best. And uh, it's a finally calm, it's finally cloudy, and it might rain sometime soon over the next year, I hope. <laughs> we haven't had rain year. for a long time. Well, I have to tell you, we had such rain last night, Josh, here I'm on Long Island in New York, and such rain, I was so delighted I left the window open and I kept me awake for hours. It was really, really pounding down. It's a little quiet today, but I think we're, you know what, we're going to bottle it and ship it out to you. Would you like that, Josh? Should we send you some rain? I think we need it, yes. <laughs> all right, all right. I'll do, I'll do, I won't walk it out there, but I'll, I'll do a special delivery. Thank you, Josh. Pam Seplo, I know you're not in France, and I know you're not drinking champagne, which you had last time you were on the show, but what are you drinking? Where exactly is home? And you don't have to give us a street address, Pam, but in general, where are you? And uh, I think you're on the East Coast like I am. Talk to me, Pam. I am on the East Coast today, so I'm home as well, um, which is nice. It seems like you've got a trifecta there. You've also got a trifecta with coffee. So I'm drinking an almond milk latte that I made actually myself from a fancy dancy espresso maker that we have in our home. Fancy dancy. I like that. Is there a brand you want to just do a little shout out for? Fancy dancy? Uh, I don't even know the name of the brand of the coffee machine. I'm drinking it out of a Starbucks cup if that makes Steve feel better. Well, I'm sure Steve feels your loyalty is just coming across through the airways. Uh, I, it, You know, they don't let Bonnie have caffeine on radio show days, but Pam isn't going to tell anybody my little secret. I did have a little cup of caffeinated coffee about an hour ago, and I'm jumping around. But basically, my official drink is a glass of cool, clear, filtered Brita water and a cup. And today, I have a pink straw because this is such a hot conversation. We are talking today about something that impacts every company of every size. Even if you're a startup, you want to be listening to this performance management. That's right. How do you manage? How do you guide? How do you gauge, assess, and push forward with what your employees are actually doing when you're paying them to do something that's going to move your company ahead to success, sustainable success? Big question on the table. Are today's PM performance management practices working? Great panel today. We're off to a terrific start. We have Dr. Stephen T. Hunt at Success Factors, Josh Burson at Burson by Deloitte. And a shout out to our very good friends at Deloitte and Pam Seplo at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and you're listening to Coffee Break with Game Changers. We're going to take about a one-minute break, so don't even think of touching that mouse that app, that dial. Justin, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP Systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and we're back talking about performance management, and it impacts every one of you and your companies out there. We're going to kick off the roundtable right now, and I'm just doing a quick uh, quick email here to Frank Sophia at SAP, who came up with this great topic and assembled this wonderful panel. So shout out to Frank, who's tweeting at Frank502. There you go, at hashtag SAP Radio. We'd love to see more people capturing the wonderful words of wisdom from my panelists. So Stephen Hunt has graciously agreed as he usually does to kick off the round table and Steve I'm looking through your copious notes here thank you so much uh, I'm going to read a statement here and then we're going to kick it off and talk about if performance management practices are two years old or more it's time for that makeover I talked about so here's your, your comment you say employees don't hate performance management they hate lousy performance management so well put Steve let's go yeah, so I mean, I think that to start to say what performance management is supposed to do, and it doesn't always, is one, for an employee, clearly define what is it that I'm expected to do. Why, why am I here? Um, and that's about really clear goal setting, and those goals, as Josh commented, probably should change throughout the year, given the pace of change in business. But it's like, you know, I'm coming to work every day. What is the purpose of coming to work? What am I supposed to accomplish? Then give me ongoing feedback on, and help and support to help me accomplish it. Am I doing the right thing? Should I do things differently? So that I can adjust my behavior and, and increase the likelihood of being successful. But then there's a third point that's often overlooked, which is actually, at, at some point, evaluate whether or not I actually met expectations and, you know, recognize me and reward me for that. And if you look at this, this is the fundamentals of management. Employees want this. Clear goals, clear expectations is a huge driver of employee engagement. It's very frustrating when we don't know what we're supposed to do. We're not given help to do it, and we're not recognized if we do it. And it also really frustrates high-performing employees if the company tolerates other people that aren't doing their jobs. It's very frustrating. So companies want that, which is what performance management is supposed to do. But the traditional processes, largely because they were constrained to paper and sort of once-year forms, didn't do it. Um, And I think what's happening really is now companies are getting serious about this. And I think one thing that Josh said I think is really important is We can no longer afford to tolerate bad management, but most companies put managers into managerial roles for things other than their managerial skill. Then they don't really train them on how to be managers, and then they don't hold them accountable or measure whether they're actually managing or give them tools for effective managing. And that, I think, is the real change we're seeing as companies are deciding, look, this is what it means to manage people, setting clear goals, giving good behavioral feedback, and then fairly and consistent, you know, accurately evaluating people based on what they've accomplished and not whether or not you just like them. Now, how the companies mm-hmm. do this, that's where I say I, it runs the gamut, um, and it depends on the organization and the kinds of employees. There's no one best way to set goals. There's no one best way to give feedback, and there's no one best way to decide who are the high performers and who are the people, not that you have to get out of the company per se, but I'd say the people that are like, you know, kind of slowing down the organization because they're retired on active duty, as one of my colleagues puts it. <laughs> um, th- okay. That's what people want, but I think that the traditional process is, didn't they failed at doing that because frankly the tools just didn't allow you to do ongoing goal management and feedback 
Interesting. Josh Burson, thoughts on what Stephen just introduced? What do you think? What do you see? You know, I, I think there's one thing I'd like to sort of clarify. This idea of bad management, quote-unquote, mm-hmm. all managers are bad at some things. <laughs> In fact, leadership development and leadership is the number one or number two issue that we see in all of our research. And so companies are constantly struggling with this issue of how do we improve leadership, how do we develop leaders, how do we build a better pipeline of leaders, and how do we expect leaders to behave in our company. So in one company, you have a top-down, very aggressive leadership style. another company, you might have a much more collaborative leadership style and the performance management process should um, accommodate and actually reinforce the culture of leadership you're trying to create. So, so I think that the issue with performance management is we want it to be consistent and supportive of leadership and to encourage leaders at all levels to do the things that we want them to do in the ways that we know will work. And then each individual manager is going to be, you know, as imperfect as we are as human beings and um, do the best they can. And the problem we have with performance management today is the process actually almost creates bad management. <laughs> you know, companies tell me on and on and on that says, you know, when I have to give ratings and I have to do force distribution and when I have to do these massive things at the end of the year, it makes it hard for me to manage people. I, re- I mean, in our particular situation, I'll tell you an example here. Mm-hmm. We uh, are part of Deloitte, and Deloitte is going through a very, very significant re-engineering of its process. But the traditional process is the old-fashioned process. And for the three years that we have been part of Deloitte, we have been going through forced ranking. And it has not mm-hmm. been good for the culture of our little business. Um, it has changed the way people interact with each other. Um, we're, now getting, we're now going through the, you know, the new design but I've observed it personally, and here we are, you know, right in the middle of this revolution, um, observing it ourselves. So, so I think the, the goal and, the, and certainly the aspiration of us and success factors and everybody else is to give the managers tools that will make them better at their jobs, knowing full well that managers are imperfect, and some, and some of them will be naturally good leaders, and some will have to learn as they go. So that's kind of, I'll give you, maybe stop there. Learn as they go. That's interesting. That reminds me of my opening question earlier, Josh, about the innovation. Are we asking our managers to be innovative about being managers? By the way, I just tweeted, heard on SAP Radio, Josh Burson at Deloitte SAP, all managers are bad at something. I think that's a very provocative thought. <laughs> Pam, you, you said it. Don't get in any trouble with your tweets. <laughs> I, well, listen, it's, it's out there. People are listening in over 225 <laughs> countries, Josh. So, you know, it's not like we're having this private conversation, although it sounds very intimate to me. Pam Seplo, we've got so much on the table. Love for you to comment, please. Uh, sure, Bonnie. So a couple of thoughts based on what Steve and Josh um, were saying. One is you know, we've talked so far a lot about the role that the manager plays in performance management and in the conversations. I think more and more employees have a role to play, um, both in helping to guide the conversation, in initiating the conversation, and in taking a really active role in the conversation. So it's, it's not something that's happening to me as an employee, but it's really something that I'm engaged in. It makes for a much more meaningful conversation um, and a much more well-rounded conversation if I feel as an employee I'm actively engaged in that conversation. A bit again back to the self-assessment discussion that we were having earlier. Um, one of the things that we find, and we've just recently 
as many organizations are doing. We at SAP are trying to figure out what's the right thing for us um, and what's the direction that we want to go in for the future of performance management. So we've just completed a huge number of focus groups and interviews with employees. The two things that we heard resoundingly when we asked the question about elimination of performance ratings or not, what were people really wanting or missing, um, and what was preventing them from having these regular ongoing conversations, the two things that resoundingly came out was, um, I don't have the time. So it's not that I don't know what I need to do, and it's not that I don't know as a manager that I need to be having these conversations, but there are so many demands on me every single day. How do I carve out the time to really have a meaningful conversation with my employee that takes me some time to prepare for it, and then I need to have it? There might be some follow-up. So time is a real limiting factor, I think, for people. Um, And the other is sometimes I'm not really sure how to have that conversation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, to the point that um, we need to be helping managers to be successful in the same way we want managers to help employees be successful, I think it's incumbent upon organizations to help position their managers to be successful if the expectation is that we're going to ask them to have more regular, ongoing conversations that span throughout the course of the year. We need to recognize that some managers don't have the capability or the skill set to be able to do that right now. Thank you, Pam. Steve, I'm going to ask Josh a question as we evolve this topic rather than going back to you and asking you to close out that part of the conversation because I want to ask the three of you about the context of managing in the context rather of culture, of corporate culture, of company culture. So Josh, I'm looking at your notes, very another very provocative burson. So we have to have bursonisms now. I think it's time that we start Bursonism. So, Josh, here's one I like to talk about. You say HR is at a crossroads and is being redefined in the context of culture, productivity, and design thinking. There's that word. Now, let's talk about culture. Culture starts at the top, or so I think we've been told. Maybe it's starting at the bottom today. In a culture where the owner, the manager, the leader, the CEO, the top management lead team of the company, Josh, they're not touchy-feely people. They're very process-oriented. They're very, okay, we do the reviews on the third Thursday of every August, and then we do this and that. When that culture trickles down, what happens to this teaching managers to be good managers? How does that affect the ability to do good performance management as we've been discussing? Josh? Yeah, perfect question. I mean, the the role of HR today is not to be compliance administration paperwork but to push back on leadership and management and give management advice, coaching, education, information so they can do their jobs better. So in the topic of culture, if the business execs don't get it and they don't understand that they're creating a poor culture or that perhaps some of the cultural behaviors that they're seeing are as a result of their reward systems, that is HR's job. So HR's job is to understand the culture, facilitate it, and make sure that leaders are managing it the way that will be best for the company and for the people and for the customers. And that's a kind of a new job for HR. Mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't really even that many tools out there to assess culture that are very well established. And we're just getting to the point, you know, where we're getting a lot of feedback. I mean, here's one of the things that galls me. Most companies do an annual engagement survey once a year. So they really don't even have current ongoing data or information about what's bugging people in the office. Now we're reaching a point where we have pulse surveys, continuous feedback, and so HR should be monitoring that information, and then they should be going back to business leaders and say, guys, you know, you're being too tough on people here. This message nobody mm-hmm. understood. Uh, this group of managers is not behaving the way we need them to behave. That's the kind of thing HR should do. 
And if HR can do that with data in a credible way, they're going to be superstars. Because the business people in most companies, and I've been there, you know, they don't think about the people all day. They think about the business. They think about the numbers. They think about the customers. They think about the products. And, yes, they think about the people, too, but they don't wake up all day thinking about culture like HR people do. So our job is to monitor and understand what's making people productive and unproductive. We need to understand things like behavioral economics and how we can nudge people to do things instead of forcing them to do things. There's all sorts of interesting things we can do in HR and be the advisors to the business leaders who are actually the ones running the company. And that's why I think HR is at a crossroads, is that we're just now beginning to learn how to do all these things um, and, and take on this new role. And unfortunately, many companies, the HR function hasn't evolved enough yet um, out of the compliance and administration role the point that it can be this trusted consultant and advisor to management. Thank you, Josh. Great answer. Uh, a lot of information there. Pam, I'd love to hear what you have to say about what Josh just shared with us. So I totally agree that HR has a totally different role to play um, now and moving into the future in terms of how we help to facilitate um, an organization and the organizational growth that we see um, much more than in the past where it was much more about compliance, check in the box, um, really separating your HR processes from your business process and from your business strategy. I was just having a conversation with somebody the other day um, where um, we were, they were saying, well, in the business. And I really stopped and thought to myself, when did HR not become part of the business? I just heard a CEO say HR is the most important person who's sitting at my table. And so mm. I think the more that that notion is changing and the more that our role as HR professionals change and we're helping to facilitate processes that are really helping to drive business growth and that are much more aligned with our business strategies, you see the things that Josh talks about come to fruition. Yep, HR is getting that seat and they're earning it, but they have to earn it. Steve Hunt, thoughts? Uh, I uh, completely agree. I think I would just echo, but I think the challenge of HR really sort of stepping up and being the experts in people management in the sense to say, you know, we may not be the people to define what it is you want the workforce to do, but we are the experts in what it takes to get the workforce to actually do it. Sort of like, you know, finance might say, we're not the experts in deciding where you want to invest the money, but we are the experts in how you should manage it um, mm-hmm. and giving clear guidelines and stepping up. And I think there's, there's, well, I've seen it. There's huge differences in HR leaders and their willingness to sort of look at somebody in another function to say, look, you don't know how to manage people. <laughs> you know, I'd give you some really clear examples. Just like I wouldn't tell like a chief marketing officer that I knew more about how to segment the customer base than they do because that's an expertise of marketing. I might have opinions on it. Well, the same way, I think HR needs to really own that expertise and say, you know, when it comes to attracting, retaining, developing, and maximizing the productivity of people, we are experts in that or we should be experts in that. Um, but I think historically a lot of HR people rose up through the administrative process stuff and are very uncomfortable in that more challenging role, which I think is critical to things like performance management because performance management, as Josh was talking about earlier, is basically about how do you treat your employees. And Mm -hmm. um, we can know there's countless examples of places where there are people in leadership positions that aren't doing a very good job when it comes to treating their employees. 
This is true. And I have another Bersonism to inject. Josh, I hope you're uh, burning with pride here, or, or at least just smiling. Josh says, HR skills, capabilities, and roles are under stress. And here's the big operative question. Do we even have the right people in HR? Josh, you want to make a quick comment on that before I move to another burning topic from Pam's notes? Josh? Yeah, it's, it's actually really, listen, I love HR, I love being a part of this industry, and I love the people in it, but it is changing. And if you're not into data and information, and if you're not an, an innovator, you're not willing to try new things, and you're not willing to talk back and, and push on management, you're not going to be as important in HR as you used to be. So there is an issue of whether we have the right people in the function and whether we're uh, developing the HR function, too. We have to develop HR people just like we do everybody else in the business. And we then do? does the HR leadership, you know. <laughs> we yeah, do? We do. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. So, Josh, um, I, I so once I worked for a... I want to tell you, I once worked for a manager who was on her, uh, she was ready to conquer the world, and she mm-hmm. uh, went from the proverbial as one of our Republican wannabe candidates, uh, proverbially from secretary to almost CEO, this particular woman, and she decided mm-hmm. that nobody was getting a performance review for years. So anytime HR would approach people like me in the company, and I was there entire marketing department just me it was a bank a correspondent bank in new york every time the review came up she would literally toss it in the round file and you didn't get review i didn't get a review for five years because she was just mad at everybody and didn't want anybody to have a review we were lucky she kept us on the payroll and she told us she redlined everything we did and we just lived under this autocracy for years i bailed as soon as i could but it took a couple of a couple of years to get i learned a lot from her but boy was that a tough environment any quick comment on that kind of culture josh person yeah that's that is what that that happens all the time every everybody that gets promoted into management and makes it up you know in the corporate world has their own experience with the managers they worked for and they learn from them and they develop their own um, sort of techniques And sometimes they don't realize that what they're doing isn't working. (laughs) We are not always self-aware as leaders. And, in fact, the higher you get in the organization, the less feedback you tend to get because everybody wants to tell you good stuff. So HR has to be, you know, sort of a little bit of a coach and um, a trusted advisor to to managers at all levels. And so that's really a great example of what happens all the time in companies. Yep, thank you very much. And Pam Seplo, I'm looking at your notes, and we have to introduce another burning issue here, the M-word millennials. They don't even want to be called millennials anymore. Everybody's writing about them. The author Gene Twinge, I think, is a researcher, Ph.D., was on one of the Sunday talk shows talking about things I hadn't heard, that millennials are spoiled. Everybody shows up and expects a medal just for showing up at the soccer game. There's no such thing as excellence. They are feel entitled. They're a little bit lazy, blah, blah. I hadn't never heard that before. Uh, So I I sent that review to some of our our other HR people at SAP and they said, well, you got to look at her research. But anyway, I'm reading a statement here from Pam Seplow's note. She says, the influx of millennials coming into the workforce is having an impact on how organizations should be thinking about performance management. Pam, I'm going to let you run with that. You want to give us a couple of statistics, please? Sure. So um, the statistics that we're seeing says that millennials want more feedback um, on a much more regular basis than um, compared to non-millennials in the workforce because they're used to getting it in all kinds of different ways, whether it's the feedback that they're getting from teachers on a regular basis as they're growing up, feedback that they're getting from coaches, or the feedback that they're getting from each other as they're gaming and as they're, um, as they're playing online or learning online. They're also used to giving feedback. 
so they can rate everything. They can rate their games. They can rate books from Amazon. Um, so there's much more a propensity to expect to have feedback on a more regular basis. One stat I saw was something around 16% of millennials wanted feedback every week compared with 9% of non-millennials. And of that, um, 50% of non-millennials said they didn't care if they had feedback except once a year. And so I think there's a healthy tension building within organizations as more and more millennials are entering the workforce and sort of forcing that or demanding that more regular feedback. There's a healthy tension within how does the organization adapt to be able to give that. But it's certainly definitely changing the way we're thinking about performance management. It's also, as we've talked about earlier, it's causing organizations to rethink this annual process because that's not enough for people anymore. Mm, it isn't. And there's a big challenge. I think one of our other panelists said time is an issue. Stephen, it might have been you. Stephen Hunt, thoughts about millennials? I know we're not supposed to call them. I don't know what else to call them, but you can call them whatever you want, just as, you know, don't call them late to the paycheck. So, Stephen, thoughts on what Pam introduced? Well, I think there are, there are some differences, but I mean, the research I've looked at is a lot of it has to do not with how old they are, it's the career stage they're in. When you're starting your career, you want more feedback because you're learning what to do. And once you've been in a career and you're more established, you're more sort of an independent operator and saying, you know, be clear on what you want me to do, set clear goals, but I don't need as much feedback and coaching because I'm more experienced. I do think one of the things where there's all this talk about millennials, and I'm like, you know, we've been employing people in their 20s for a long time. This isn't a new thing. What I'd be more, what I'm interested in is how are we going to deal with the fact that like over 25% of the workforce, depending on how you look at it, is going to be over the age of 50 pretty soon. And if I'm a company, some of my most highly skilled people are in that segment. And if I can keep somebody in this day and age in my company fully productive for 10 years, I don't care if it's between age 25 and age 35 or age 50 and age 60, that's 10 years of productivity. And so, I, you know, I, I, I appreciate the looking at millennials. I think we need to, I think they bring a lot to um, the workforce, especially not just in case of wanting feedback, but giving feedback. I do think they probably tend to give feedback more often because they've been raised in a culture of giving feedback all the time, um, which is mm-hmm. much different. But I think there's not nearly enough discussion about, you know, for the first time in our history, we're going to be employing large numbers of people past the age of 60. We've never done that before. And these are some of your most highly skilled professionals. Um, so I'm really, you know, I think I, w- I wish we'd see a shift, but I think people don't like to talk about getting old. They only like to talk about youth. So I think it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think you just paid me and my boomer generation a compliment in there somewhere, Steve. Uh, we are highly skilled and, and dedicated employees. We do bring an awful lot to the table, and we are way past the age of 50, my friend. So I don't know where you are. Uh, and uh, Josh is, I know Pam is a, is looks very, very young in her picture. So, yes, there is value. And, and good point. We are, we've told, been told recently, Steve, that we've got five generations working side by side in the workforce. And I think one of the operative questions for me is, who will be the next head of HR based on what Josh talked about, culture, changing roles, stress on the organization. We haven't really talked too much about software. And you know what? And tools. We've got about three minutes left till we go to our crystal ball predictions round. So why don't I just open this up to the whole panel? Who wants to talk a little bit about tools, availability of tools, agility, uh, how much of a help or hindrance are they in performance management today? Steve, Josh, Pam, who wants to take it? Well, <clears throat> let me make a quick maybe intro to get us started. Sure. I think what, can you guys hear me? 
Yep, we can. Okay. Yep. So, so I think one of the trends that I think is going to be very significant over the next couple of years, I actually just got, had a, a big conversation last night with a futurist, is we're going to be walking around with computers tethered to our wrists or our, on our hands or in our back pockets that are giving us real-time data on pretty much everything, whether it be our heart rate, what's going on in the office, the stock mm-hmm. market, whatever it is we're interested in, Twitter. And, and that data is going to go back into the company, too. So the company is going to start having a regular, like it, just like we have the Internet of Things, people are the things. And so we're going to have a lot of data flowing in all di- different directions, and we're going to be interacting through apps, not necessarily computers. Um, and that will affect goal-setting, performance management. We have vendors now that have tools that will monitor your location at work, and they'll say, you know, when you have lunch with this group of people, you have a very productive day, but when you have lunch with that group of people, you don't have a very productive day. Um, or when, the meet- when you have this kind of activity, your voice, you know, is wavering because you're under stress. When you have that kind of activity, you're actually very productive. Unfortunately, whether we like it or not, we're going to be living in a lot, a world of a lot of data, and HR is going to be able to manage this and look at it and help us make the organization better. And, of course, performance management will be done in a much more agile way, too, using a lot of these new tools. Um, so that's maybe a couple years out, but it's, I see it coming faster every day. Thank you, Josh. A quick comment from Steve or Pam before we, well, we've got about, we can wait two minutes till we go officially to the crystal ball predictions round. Steve, thought on tools? Well, I, I think that the technology is changing so quickly and the ability to set goals, give feedback, share data, make decisions, that it kind of goes to, when I talk to customers now, it used to be if you were going to put technology, you'd start with your existing process and you'd say, well, how should we modify it? What I tell mm-hmm. our customers now is I say, look, if your process is you know more than two years old, don't start with your existing process. Start with some fundamental questions. How are we going to set expectations? How are we going to update those expectations throughout the year? How are we going to give people feedback for development? And how are we going to evaluate and determine you know, who our high performers are? Answer those questions sort of independently. Think what makes sense because there's stuff you can do now you just literally could not do even two years ago when it comes to, you know, real-time updates of goals, ongoing feedback, sharing between systems. So it's exciting. I mean, it's an exciting time because I, I think it's, uh, there's so many things we can do. The challenge is what should we do? And with that with customers, I say, look, get back to the fundamentals of psychology. Technology is changing a lot. People do not evolve as fast as apps come out. And if you look at the fundamentals of performance management, it is things like, do I know what it is you want me to do, why it matters, Mm -hmm. am I getting feedback if I'm doing it, and if I do it, do I understand how you're going to evaluate and make decisions that affect my career, like how much I'm paid and what I get promoted. Employees should not wonder how companies make those decisions. It should be clearly defined to them. Ah, very, very important. Pam, I'm going to give you one minute to comment on that, and then we will go back to Steve for predictions, the real predictions. Pam, thoughts quick on tools? So I think tools are enabler to the um, to what you want your outcomes to be, and I think tools can help to support that, and they're evolving faster than we know what to do with and faster than we can adapt, as Steve said. Um, but I think no tool replaces maybe old-fashioned conversation. And so the conversation about do I know what's expected of me, yes, I can get a lot of data about that, but just having a conversation with somebody about that I think far more valuable sometimes than all the tools that we put in people's hands. 
Very well put. People to people. It's the connection. It's the conversation. It's the relationships. Okay. Stephen Hunt, I can give you exactly 60 seconds, no more, for the official predictions. You know I love the year 2020. It just sounds so adorable when Baba Wawa used to say it, and now we're saying it. But you can tell me any future time, next week, next month, tomorrow, or five to ten years out. What do you see that will change? 60 seconds, predictions, Dr. Stephen T. Hunt, go. Yeah, I think it's basically we're going to see performance management blended into just basically business operations, and it's really going to see much more, and we're already seeing it, much, much more ongoing goal management, updating of goals. You know, get to that point about self-assessment. If I know what it is you want me to accomplish such that I could tell whether or not I was successful without asking for feedback. You know, you don't have to, if I'm playing tennis, I don't have to ask anyone if I'm winning or losing. There's a score. I know what I'm supposed to accomplish. More and more jobs where shorter-term goals, shorter-term tasks and activities, so really employees are able to self-manage more effectively, and there's much, much more role clarity. I think that's where we're going to see a lot of this, and that role clarity is really about business operations. And then just you know, measuring people against those expectations. So you can use it to say, you know, are you performing your job the way you're supposed to in a way that's advancing your career? But it's, I think performance management as a concept is it can get blended into just managing the workforce. It just can be part of managing the workforce. Thank you, Steve. Let's go to Josh Burson. Predictions, how far in the future? 60 seconds, go. Okay. On the topic of performance management, I think we're going to always struggle with it because we're always struggling with building leaders, and people are imperfect leaders, and that's just the way it's going to be. (laughs) So we're going to have to keep looking at it and revising it and and using new technology to make it better all the time. On the topic of millennials, here's my one-liner. We are all millennials. I think what the millennials have done is they've opened up a can of worms of new ideas, feedback, progression, rapid progression at work, ta- uh, transparency, creativity at work. We all want that. There are, as, and as Steve said, there are almost as many boomers as there are millennials in the workforce, and we're not going away that quickly. And no, so a lot of the value systems that we're now seeing driven by young people actually affect those of us that are a little more senior, too. So we have a lot of refreshed ideas on feedback, communications, inclusion, diversity, the use of data at work, um, that I think affect all of us. And for those of us that grew up in more traditional work environments, you know, we kind of have to get comfortable with this new world of work, too, and we can't force it to be the way it used to be. Well, I think there's a lot of exciting things to do. And I would end by just saying HR is a really important part of companies. It is part of the business, even though it feels like it's not. And we have to help the HR function play an even more vital role in making all these transitions happen in a positive and uh, positive way for the company. So let me stop there and... Yes, uh, we have to give Pam, thank you very, and I like the word excitement and future looking. Thank you, Josh Burson, Pam Seplo, SAP, exactly 60 seconds predictions. Go. I think performance management is going to, as Steve said, become much more normal business operations. I also think it's going to be much more focused on looking forward and not looking so much backward, so much more developmentally focused and much more about the learning um, that people are getting out of the experience that they're having and then how do they apply that learning for new situations that are coming up because the world is evolving so fast. I need to be always looking at what's the next thing and how do I take the experiences that I've had, good, bad, or ugly experiences, how do I learn from that, and then how do I apply that moving forward? So I think there's going to be a a shift that focuses much more towards um, forward-looking rather than backwards-looking with performance management. 
Thank you, Pam, very much. What a great conversation this was. Dr. Stephen T. Hunt, Success Factors, always a pleasure. Josh Burson, we're going to have to write a book of Bursonisms. You sure dropped a bunch of them on us today, and you just tell your friends at Deloitte we're going to start a new book sponsored by Deloitte, and I'll, I'll help edit it. Pam Seplo at SAP, always a pleasure. And here's some forward-looking information. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern today with our one of our newest news series called Game Changing HR Leaders. What a coincidence. And the topic is getting them and keeping them. How do you keep that prospective workforce, the talent you want coming in the door, and how do you retain them? Very important topic. So I want to say thank you to Frank Sophia at SAP for tweeting and for bringing us this great topic, and Karen Geraldo at SAP in Canada, who's vacationing in Myrtle Beach. Thanks for tweeting. We really appreciate it so much. And thank you to Justin and the Business Channel team at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here's my call to action. Oh, you know it already by heart. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting? for. Go out and be a game changer today. Bye-bye. Talk to you soon. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.